everybody, and welcome to the classroom. Hello. Um, all right. So, of course, this week is our kind of recap. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> Recapping all of the Percy Jackson books from the last Olympian series, from the Lightning Thief, all the way to the uh, Heroes of Olympus series uh, with Battle of Olympus. B- Blood of Olympus. Blood of Olympus. Sorry. Same difference. Yeah, no. But, um, yeah, so this is basically recapping everything we have done since, like, October. Yeah. Because we took that, like, month gap after I decided to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I getcha. And it's, um, it's been a while, so this is, yeah. Yeah. The, you got to go back. and like, There's ten episodes dedicated to this series, so it is important that we go ahead and just kind of brain dump everything. Um, I think we're going to try to do like a flash recap of the entirety of the series. Yeah. Um, this is going to be – we are not going to spend much time on this. However – There are ten episodes that yeah. will do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you want to start it off? Okay. So I will start – with Lightning Thief, basically Percy goes, who's my dad, even though he con- controls water? Uh, <laughs> him and his good buddy Annabeth and Grover travel across the U.S. to s- find the lightning bolt that they think he may have stolen. Luke goes, ha-ha, got him, um, and... Turns evil. And that's the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in Sea Monsters, uh, everybody's sick and everything's going, dying, uh, r- real bad stuff. Uh, they need to get the Golden Fleece to heal the tree, uh, which is also a girl. Uh, they go... Uh, steal the golden fleece, go on some wacky adventures. Everything in the middle is kind of boring. Um, and then they get back to the camp, put the fleece on the tree. Uh, tree turns into girl. We got Thalia Grace here now. Book ends. Um, Titan's curse. Uh, Thalia Grace is now just vibing with Percy and Annabeth. Uh, they go, they fight somebody, um, find two more demigods. Annabeth falls off a cliff. Um, we meet the hunters of Artemis. Uh, they kill a girl as they're going across the U.S. Mm-hmm. Not on purpose. It wasn't their fault, but it did happen. Eh. Um, and then they save Annabeth, who happens to be holding this guy. Uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Battle of the Labyrinth. Uh, they need to find – they're trying to figure out what's going on. They find the uh, labyrinth in there. Uh, people are using it to um, attack the camp. They got to go in there and get that. They go through, have some wacky adventures, uh, save a hundred-handed one, find Daedalus, the master crafter. Uh, and he dies, but gives Annabeth a laptop, and they get battle plans and get ready to face the big fight. Um, okay, so, <laughs> uh, last Olympian. Um, Nico's like, hey, buddy pal Percy, how about you become almost immortal? And Percy goes, mm, I bet. Um, and, <laughs> and then the battle immediately starts after they blow up Charles Beckendorf. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke's still bad. Luke now also has Kronos. Like, he has bodied Kronos, literally. Um, they... <laughs> they he bodied Kronos? <laughs> yes, technically. He's embodied. He didn't... Same difference. Any... <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, they fight throughout Manhattan. Annabeth gets stabbed, even though Percy was a, almost immortal. Um... Luke goes, no, 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 I will save. Stab self, kills him and Kronos, mm-hmm. both. Uh, gods go, hey, Percy, you want to be a Myrtle? A Myrtle. <laughs> goes, hey, do you want to be immortal? And then Percy goes, nah, man. And then Annabeth and Percy kiss at the bottom of the lake, the end. Yeah. Um, Series two. <laughs> <laughs> Series two, Lost Hero. Uh, milk Toast, Piper, uh, and uh, Leo on a, at a school for uh, bad kids. Uh, they get whisked away, uh, go to Half-Blood, find out. Jason Milktoast don't belong there, and then they go on a little uh, fun adventure because of Hera to try to get his memories back and to save Piper's dad and fight the giants in the awakening of, of Gia. 
that's what I did. Yeah. Um, okay, so son of Neptune, Percy rolls into Roman camp. He's confused. He has Hera. He meets Frank and Hazel. They decide to go on some wacky adventures to Alaska, the land without the gods. They fight a titan. We learn that Hazel already did that at the age of 12 before dying. Um, and then they're like, they're like, hey, Percy, we understand you've been here for a week. Here's the, the big title. And he went, okay. And then in rolls the battleship carrying seven of his friends. Or not seven of his friends, but will be soon carrying seven people. Uh, battleship rolls up. Everything is hunky-dory. They're all hanging out. There's reunions. It's very sweet. Uh, Leo gets possessed, shoots, starts a war. Uh, everybody gets up there, and they have to kind of deal with that whole shebang. Uh, they start... Heading out, trying to uh, get the Athena Parthenon, is that yeah. what it's called? Uh, to sort of reunite the camps if it is brought back by a Roman to the Greek camp. Mm -hmm. And they get it. However, Percy and Annabeth fall into Tartarus. House of Hades picks up with Annabeth and Percy both in literal hell. Um, and the seven plus Nico, or the rest of the seven plus Nico are vibing in the sky because they're like, oh, we can't do the whole water thing without Percy here, which is true. Um, and they continue to find their way across uh, miscellaneous Europe to meet Percy and Annabeth. They have some fun, wacky adventures both in hell and above hell, um, <laughs> which results in Hazel learning to use magic. And then um, technically Leo realizing that he's going to have to be the one to die. Also, Leo goes and finds Calypso at one point, which is like yeah. cash money. He falls in love because it's Leo and Calypso, I guess. Um, and uh, Frank gets buff. That happens in House yeah. of Hades. Uh, and Nico becomes a cornstalk at one point. Uh, I just don't remember. For, just for I don't remember minute. why I remember that. Um, uh, they they save Percy and Annabeth. They close the doors of death. The end. Yes. Uh, Blood of Olympus. Um, Raina shows up. Starts taking the the uh, Athena statue back with Nico and Hedge. Uh, everybody goes on their own little adventures, fighting, fighting. One one part goes and fights all the gods. Uh, fights all the titans with the gods. The other side goes to the camp and starts fighting Gia. They all unite. Leo sacrifices himself, but not really. Um, uh, what's that? What's that fool's name with an O? Octavian. Yes, Octavian uh, sacrifices himself. Not on purpose. <laughs> not on, yeah, accidentally sacrifices himself. Does in fact die. Everything ends in a blurry, blurry fight. The end. The and end. that's what you've missed on on last ten episodes. <laughs> there you go. Don't even need to read the series. Yes. Yeah, no. Um, and then there's still five more to go, but we are not getting into the Trials of Apollo series. It's way too new, and I can't mentally do it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so yeah, that, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, um, so <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about our opinions okay. uh, overall on the series, and we can also then uh, later touch on our likes and dislikes yeah. of Rick Riordan. Yeah. Riordan. So um, I, like I said, this growing up, this was my emotional support series, both, uh, both sets of series, really. I picked up reading the series about the time that Mark of Athena came out. Um, so I had to wait a full year between Mark of Athena and House of Hades. And it was just, I remember that so so vividly. It was awful. Anyhow, um, rereading this as an adult makes me question some of the decisions Rick Riordan made. But at the same time, I I don't think too much into them just because this is a series for children. So, um, Similarly... This is my first time reading the series, so I had a lot of sort of fresh takes on this, or at the very least, uh, I was able to look at it with eyes that didn't have any sort of, well, like, nostalgia to it. Um, I thought it was very nice. I, I enjoyed uh, reading the series. Uh, it felt very of its time. Um, 
and and there, there were some there were some bits that I was like, oh, okay, this doesn't feel necessary. Shoving this in doesn't feel right. Um, but overall, I liked the series a lot. I would probably say that I liked. I'd probably say that I liked the first set better overall. I think it to- tells mm-hmm. a more compact and like nice story, and that Heroes of Olympus is slightly behind that. Well, and Heroes of Olympus does the thing where. It is like the entirety of the four or the five books take place over barely a year. Mm. Four of the books take place within the same like two month span of time. Yeah. It is whereas we're watching Percy grow up in in the like original Percy Jackson the Olympian series, and I think there's a lot of nostalgia in it. And I think, and I think we and we can get into reasons we're very not cash happy there with uh with Rick Riordan. But one thing he does, he's very strong narr- narrating in Percy's perspective. Mm-hmm. That first person, he develops Percy's wit and narrative so well in that first series, and you just lose it completely in the second series. Yeah. He tries to go back to it a little bit in Trials of Apollo, where the main character narrates, and it's pretty nice. Um, it's not, it's still not as good. Um, that first series was definitely Rick Riordan's strongest. Um, and I, I, I attribute that to the fact that Percy is such a strong narrator. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Percy also has probably the better hero stance and the fact that he, he's very humble. He never admits that he is better than anybody else. He'll admit that he's like, uh, he's like, oh, I don't understand why everybody's looking up to her. It makes me kind of sad. Specifically with Talia, he was like, I don't know why people look up to her. It makes me sad. I was the one they looked up to, but now they don't. But it was never like, I am better than everybody. He doesn't have like a God complex hero wise. And it shows a lot in his narrative because he totally should have. But. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, I, I agree with all that. Um, I think that narration wise, he does kind of get his swing back a little bit near the end, Mm -hmm. but it definitely feels a lot, uh, drier and like sort of bland at the beginning of Heroes of Olympus. Both Um, books, both, both Lost Hero and Son of Neptune mm -hmm. are pretty, Son of Neptune isn't as bad just because we get Percy back as narrator. And that's where Rick Riordan gets strong. But I Lost mm-hmm. Hero was so bland on the narration. And and it gets better, but I think a caveat to it getting better is that he gives everybody not not only is it in third person, so it's slightly different, uh, but he gives everybody Percy's wit. And it was no it's no longer like, oh, this is a thing that Percy does. This is oh, this is how everybody that we see narrating talks. Like the ex- the like exclusions to that are like Nico and Reyna. Those are the only two that I think that are not like constantly quipping jokes. And the maybe rest of Hazel. Hazel's is a little 50-50. We also don't see a lot of No, she only narrates Hazel. two books. Mm-hmm. She narrates, I think, um, I know she narrates obviously in Son of Neptune and I think she narrates in, um, I know she narrates in House of Hades because mm-hmm. we get the scene of her. But yeah, no, they're all quit. Like, and that's the problem too is like, especially especially in House of Hades when we have all of the seven narrating, you can't tell the difference between the characters. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can kind of tell who's narrating is by whose like inner story you're following. And that if you're going to do seven characters that you spent time like developing and you're going to make them all narrate, they should have distinct voices. Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense that Hazel, who is literally from the like 1930s, is talking like a teen and 2016, I think. It's it's a weird nondescript 2000s era. Right, right. Like it's it's there. Um, but yeah, I think the only character that I will say outside of, of course, like you said, Nico and Reyna, 
Um, the only character that is more quippy than Percy, and it shows in the narration, is Leo. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the only character that you can very obviously tell who is narrating. Because yeah. with the mm, – actually, um, not in Battle of Olympus – or in Blood of Olympus – his narration is just flat in Blood of Olympus because he's brooding. Mm-hmm. But it's like in in Mark of Athena and House of Hades, Leo's narration is so strong and funny. Like his is his is very distinctive. Yeah, he's Leo. that's probably one of the reasons. Other than like I said, I really like sort of like Hephaestus, uh, like um, demigods. Mm-hmm. But that's probably one of the reasons I I like him a lot. He's he was funny, and there the other two were like, oh, they had some wit to them, but like. Really not. It, Leo was the Percy of the other books, which is, I think, why I latched onto him so much. <laughs> and I think this is a good place because Leo is the one character we really see that Rick forces into a relationship. There mm-hmm. are so many unnecessarily relationships in this series. Yeah. And that, I'm going to include, like, the, the side characters kind of forcing all of them into relationships that just don't make sense. Tyson and Ella, that didn't make sense to me. Even, like, when I read this when I was younger, I was like, that just sets weird with me just because there's no development to that no, it's it just kinda, happens yeah and then um leo's i go back and forth on leo with the calypso but it's just like one of those things where it's like rick riordan has this perpetual need for everybody in his books to have like a counterpart mm-hmm. in some way i think the only character we don't see is is luke Oddly yeah, enough actually. he's like the only like main character that doesn't have a love interest but he's also embodying satan basically yeah. so like <laughs> um i think it's like you said it's very noticeable in certain cases um like tyson and ella um grover and Penelope? juniper juniper got it yeah and th- that one isn't as bad i because i didn't mind that one too much just because they play into it but juniper doesn't have a character outside of being mm-hmm. grover's girlfriend which is just a little upsetting because there was plenty of place to develop mm-hmm. juniper same thing for, and I guess I guess this one isn't as prevalent because uh, Coach Hedge does not get much, but like Coach Hedge is developed through his like uh, like marriage with Med- Melly. Melly, I think. Melly, okay, I'm really bad at those yeah, names. but and the only I think the only reason that one doesn't get to me as bad is because like Coach Hedge is mostly a mystery, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Um, but it's it's the problem of when we have these characters fully developed, and then he's like, okay, they need a relationship. Here you go. Yeah. Like it almost feels like he's giving the characters a reward for yeah. like it, it, there is no like there is no these characters like go together and would foster a relationship, and you can see that blooming. Mm-hmm. It is this character needs a happy ending. Let's put these two together. Right, um, and I think. And, of course, like, we have the four books that he spends, four or five books developing Percy and Annabeth's relationship. And that was really nice. Mm-hmm. You see them kind of, like, build into, like, the awkward, like, childhood kind of thing. Most of the interactions they have are very reminiscent of, like, getting a crush on somebody in, like, school, one of your friends, and then, like, that becoming a thing. And, that like, that fits very well. And my problem is a lot of Heroes of Olympus, when, like, the random relationships are forced together, I have a lot of grievances with, like, jason and piper's relationship it feels very peculiar Mm -hmm. hazel and frank's feels probably the most natural out of the couples we get out of uh, out of the heroes of olympus series but that's also because that one is weird because we start with it although they weren't together when we when we pick up in son of neptune they were just friends yeah you're right 
but like they both have like the little like hints of it. So I guess that's probably why, because there's a little bit of build up into them getting into a relationship. But Jason and Piper, the fact that even Jason is confused mm-hmm. about their relationship, it's like okay, this just sets weird. But yeah. and we also don't get to see them developing and like making memories outside of the fake ones that he's given. I think that's yeah. an I, important. Piece. I think, I think Jason Piper and um, uh, Frank and Hazel are fine. I just don't think they're great. Um, Which is reasonable. And I, I just – I think that uh, Leo and Calypso could have worked if it was developed sooner because I believe – and stop me if I'm wrong. Uh, Leo and Calypso only had like one or two chapters. I feel like that's something that they – not much else was like really going on. They could have like flipped back and forth between right. those and just like e- either that or just yada yada to be like – yeah, the other ones fought a lot of monsters while they were, like, going, but they, none right. of them were important because they did that with, like, five or six squid fights that weren't really important. Right, right, right. And it's, like, and I guess I think that's the problem is Rick Riordan tries to force, and, like I said, it's just more obvious in, with Leo, I think, that, like, the only way a character can be happy is if they're in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously then that's not how real life works, um, and I think that's probably the biggest problem is it's, like, this, like, oh, uh, you know, Everybody has to be in love to have like a fully developed character arc. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. I think it doesn't fit right. Also, it, the fact it was introduced so quickly, I think, was the other mm-hmm. problem. You hit the nail on the head with that one. I would be fine if it was in- introduced at the exact same speed. If you made it so it was not a like a like love blooming, but a respect blooming between the two, mm-hmm. and that way, because that even breaks the curse, because it is every time a hero comes to your island. They will fall in if they fall in love with you. They will have to leave. Mm-hmm. He comes to the island, doesn't fall in love, is able to take her away because he did not fall into the constraints right. of the curse. And I feel like that would have been a lot cooler instead of, oh, he just broke it because he he loved her that much. Uh huh. He was, returned. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, it's strange, and I don't think it's well done. Um, Another thing that's really not well done is the battle scenes. <laughs> that was a really rushed segue, but I think it works. Yeah. That yeah, uh, you mentioned it that he really does yada yada a lot of battles, mm-hmm. but there's some battles he should yada yada that he does not yada yada. I think one of the best examples is the final fight with the gods. Uh, not mm-hmm. only because it is both yada yada, um, but also not. <laughs> it's, it's both yada yada and also explained after the yada yada because it starts with. Oh, we won, but it would be so hard to explain this to my kids later. They wouldn't believe me. And then he explains it. And then he just fully explains it. <laughs> um, Man, this would be so hard to do, and then just does it. Uh-huh. And also, he, like, you know what it felt like, actually? Um, It felt like the scenes in, like, a superhero show where they show everybody showing off in their own special ways. Mm-hmm. Like, in, like one of those introduction scenes, like in the Umbrella Academy. That's what it was for all the <laughs> gods and the uh, demigods. But in written form, that's very sluggish because uh, yeah. you're giving a lot of descriptors for these, like, individual people and scenes, and there's two people in each fight. Cause that's also, how it, well, it's told in Jason's perspective, and it's like, did Jason just stand still and then watch and this go, happen Ooh. around him? He's like, wow, Piper looks really pretty, but she's fighting with her mom, and I'm confused. Yeah. Who's this woman that looks like Annabeth? Oh, probably her mom. They're fighting together. It's like, was Jason just standing, like, still as a boar, just he- staring? Well, he got his glasses, so he was really taking <laughs> it in for the it's first like when, time. It's like the first time you see leaves after getting glasses, yeah. and you're like, oh, wow. You're telling me I should be able to read text? <laughs> it's just not one uh, like amorphous blob on the page? <laughs> and it's just, I just, 
there and there and that's the thing too is like there's more battle scenes done wrong than there are done well mm-hmm. battle uh, battle of the labyrinth is a prime example almost every battle in that book is rushed and it just feels very haphazardly mm-hmm. written the battle of manhattan in last hero is pretty well done it's it's probably one of the better but it also is majority of the book yes literally like chapter five we start with the battle of manhattan and it it's dwelled so it has so he has time to like pick up on the the significant details and stuff mm-hmm. all of the battles in last hero or lost hero are rushed all the battles in son of neptune are chaotic mark of athena is probably the only one that doesn't have a lot of very like haphazardly written battles but even then yeah. End of House of Hades is a blur, even though that should have been a battle that got dwelled on a little bit more. I still think House of Hades was done okay. Um, yeah. But it, towards the end, it was definitely like... Specifically, oh. the, one of the better battle scenes of House of Hades is where um, Frank, where basically he gets his blessing from yeah. Ares. That's a well-done battle it's scene. It's well done. It's very easy to visualize. Um, and, like, and there's not too many descriptors. Mm-hmm. There's just enough that you get the picture... But it, it's not to the point it's bogging mm-hmm. down the text. And the other thing is, when I first was reading him, I thought it's maybe just because he, he has so many players in all these fights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that helps with House of Hades. But also, there were like 30 or so cows that he was fighting like there. Right. Uh, but granted, all the cows didn't have like personalities that he had to minutely. That's dis- that's true. But there's like some characters that you can yada yada and not mm-hmm. necessarily yada yada in a battle. But if Jason, okay, for like I said, I'm gonna keep going back to the Blood of Olympus battle. It's if a, Jason it's a is narr- yeah, if Jason is narrating, then his main focal points are probably gonna be his dad, Piper, and whoever she's fighting with, and probably either Percy or Annabeth. Mm-hmm. He's probably not gonna think much on Frank or Hazel fighting because that's not who he's been close to in the text. So that's the thing is he's gonna pick he's going to focus on the people he's been closest to in these interactions, mm-hmm. and it would make sense. And then if you need another character's perspective, then that's when you flip over to yeah Percy's perspective or Annabeth or who else had narrated Piper. She's probably gonna focus more on Hazel and Annabeth. Mm-hmm. Like you know, there's yeah. ways around it that Rick Riordan didn't take. Mm-hmm. He and that's what I when I saw that it was going to be like switching narrators I thought like oh okay that's weird but one of the strengths that I thought would come from that is that in battles you could have more specific focus and then switch between and he's not like I don't think he was adequately using the switch from perspectives I think he tried to do he... that because he didn't want it to get stale and that's the only reason I can mm-hmm. really think of the switch in narrators it was a crutch to be able to write multiple like plot lines on top of each other yeah because you got to think, there is no way you could have only one narrator for Blood of Olympus. Yeah, because no you've got the quest to get the Athena Parthenos back to New York, and then you have whatever the hell is happening on that ship. Um, and they are two completely separate entities, and there's no way you can one narrator that. Yeah, the and only- I don't even know that you could pick a single narrator to narrate the entirety of the series. My guess would be... The only the the only person I can think of is Hera, which honestly that kind of would have been a fun take. That would have been fun, like a good like third person, um, almost like because that's okay. also an unreliable narrative thing, right? And right, I like and that. I think that would have been really cool to see, kind of like how in the third person that like Harry Potter is written in, yeah, where it's like it's attached to certain characters, like you, obviously you get Harry's thoughts and everything, mm-hmm. but you're still getting everything that's happening around him and things that don't necessarily involve him. That would have been so spot on of, like, even just, a, you don't tell us who the narrator is. 
And it's like focusing on like, oh, this chapter, we're focusing on Jason. We're in Jason's headspace. But here's this crazy thing happening over here, you know? Yeah. It's not like Jason is like the one thinking and like seeing the things happening. Just but lemony snicket like, it. Right, right. Um, <laughs> I hated that phrase, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, one more thing before we move on. I just wanted to uh, put in there for the relationships thing. Leo should have been ace. I'm just going to yes! say. Leo is, out of anyone in that series, is the most likely to be ace. And it is not like it just feels like everyone in this needs a like straight partner. Yes. Uh, unless specified later. Yeah, I definitely think Leo would have, even if they don't make him ace, just he doesn't need a partner. He doesn't need a partner. I think that his. That's the other thing. That, and Rick Riordan resolves that a little bit in Trials of Apollo. But, like, the relationships he develops, he's like, these will last until they get married. And you're like, that's not realistic. Yeah. There's one relationship that breaks up in Trials of Apollo that you're like, okay. But that's it. Out of the, like, seven he's given us, none. they're all just disappear and get married, question mark? Can I take a quick guess? Yeah. Because I think I can. Jason Piper? Absolutely. Oh, fuck. Oh, well, no, because I've told you. I've told you. Piper's canonically bi, mm -hmm. which is, like, fun. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's just, mm, anyhow. But I think this this is a pretty decent segue. We're going to go ahead and move into, like, the overall themes that we have throughout the entirety of this series. Mm -hmm. So, talking about Hera being the, like, hypothetically just, like, amazing, omniscient, like, narrator... Uh, offers us into the really good theme of that we see throughout the series of fate versus free will. Mm -hmm. In both both series, we see this kind of battle against prophecy and where can it be fought, where can't it be fought. And I just, I don't know where to start with this because I think Percy's the prime, I, I guess, okay, the prophecy in the first book is, or the first series is the prime example of this. And it also kind of offers up that you cannot interpret prophecy because the moment you do is the moment you're going to make a mistake. Um, because, and that's also, I think, something we kind of lose in, in, the second, in the second series. The second series prophecy plays out word for word. Whereas, like, that overarching prophecy from the first book, it, it does not take you where, it ex where you expected mm -hmm. it to go. Percy is not the main hero. The the words don't mean necessarily the same thing that you think they do. And there's a, a lot of challenging of where you can and can't push mm -hmm. free will and fate. And and I think that there's, there's kind of a reason for that. And I think that it is, if it was given better focus, it could be nice. Mm -hmm. So the, the original series, it, you were given a prophecy mm -hmm. and you were expected it for it to go this one specific way. Or maybe have like one twist where they break the prophecy. But the, the twist of it is that it ends up becoming true, just not in the way you thought. Exactly. This book, it, I think the twist is supposed to be that you're expecting the same thing, but it plays out word for word. But mm -hmm. there are some – and the reason for that, I don't think it hits as hard as because he didn't play into that as much. Right. Um, but um, I think that one reason – the reason for that canonically is that the gods interfered so much that they made it so there was only one possible outcome that is fair i didn't even um, think about that yeah and like i like like i said if you want that to be like something that you're trying to get across you need to put more focus on that mm -hmm. however that all aside you resurrect leo at the end uh even after like specifically being like nope he's dead he's dead he's dead there's no he's not coming back it's impossible he's dead and then it's like oh no he's not dead you kind of ruin your whole this will, this is exactly how it will mm -hmm. go, he will die sort of thing. Right. Well, and I think 
and I when we're talking about fate versus free will, I think that's where the Heroes of Olympus series really comes into play and like challenges that because obviously we see that every character with the exception like with the exception of probably Percy and Annabeth have been physically placed exactly where they are because Hera said so. Mm-hmm. Hera picked picked Jason and he was like, "Okay, you will go and do this exactly when you decide to." She manipulated Piper to be able to get her to do exactly what she needed to do. We've seen the fact that Hera was manipulating Leo from birth, basically, to kind of point him in the direction that would lead him to this quest. Mm-hmm. Hazel being re- resurrected was not... Like, that was so much of just strings being pulled. And and even Frank has a lot of that. That it's just, like, his is probably the least amount of, like, forced fate. Um... And it's like these characters don't have a lot of free will, but we kind of see them rebelling against that. Like, we see that they take their own liberties and how they do that. But I guess these books offer offer up, at what point is your free will just a spin on fate? Mm -hmm. And when is it just genuinely free will? Yeah, it's... That's getting really, like, Mm -hmm. existential crisis-y, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go lay on the floor for a little bit later and deal with that, but it's fine. No, no, I I, I think that was a... That that's like a very astute observation. <laughs> Me flashing my English degree around. <laughs> Can you tell that I have a degree in English, please? <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I just I've been thinking about the fate and free will a lot, mm-hmm. and I've been I don't know. It's just it's really been setting with me because, like I said in the first series, it's like Percy's free will is ultimately what led him to camp, mm-hmm. and Percy. Ex- like shows a lot of like rebelling against prophecy and taking his own decision, like making his own decisions. Yeah. But where, but it still plays into fate ultimately. Mm-hmm. So like, where does that lie? Yeah. I just feel like the first series played such a hand in that and not embracing that more. You, I think the two choices were either spin, spin that around, but while still embracing fate or to, discard it entirely they were the only two options and the first is way better than the second he took the third path which was both question yeah mark. which is both sometimes <laughs> it's very important and other times it is not there right. at all and and i guess that kind of also plays into the theme that we see a lot in both of these books is of identity and like self-discovery we see a lot of our characters specifically the later half of the series and well and percy in the first series and then the rest of the seven, with the exception of Annabeth, in the, in the second series, of trying to figure out who they are. Percy spends most of the, f- honestly, the first three books of the, the uh, like the first series, figuring out who he is. Mm-hmm. There is so much of an identity crisis happening in that kid. He, he goes from, okay, I am a nobody, it's fine. And then he goes from, oh, everybody likes me at camp. Oh, they don't now. <laughs> um, and then in the third book, he's finally settling into this identity. He's like, you know what? Well, actually, second book, he accepts that he will be the child of the prophecy. He's okay with it. Third book, that gets immediately challenged, and it shatters who he thinks he is as this, like, leader in camp. And it's not until Battle of, of the Labyrinth that you really see Percy kind of get a ground on his identity, and he sticks to it. Mm-hmm. The only time he ever kind of has a waiver in his identity is after he basically, like, tries to drown the, the goddess of misery in her poison. At that that interaction there caused him a lot of identity crisis (laughs) but i think that was just more of a developmental thing like he's pretty still like he's still pretty sound in his identity at that point 
and each of the seven have their own track of like trying to get their feet on who they are i mean jason's is really his character art of figuring out is he greek is he roman Frank's is accepting who his father is. Mm -hmm. Leo's is kind of accepting his death, accepting his fate as his identity, really. And Hazel's is, like, coming into herself. Um, I don't know about Piper's. I don't know. Piper's is very much, like... I think hers and Frank's is pretty similar, like, accepting who her mother is and how that can kind of work in her favor. So, yeah. Yeah. That's... (laughs) Um, and I guess our our last big theme too is going to be loyalty and trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, loyalty, obviously, it is a major player. It is the fatal flaw of Percy. Um, and I think that like loyalty and sort of just trust in general are very important parts of the series uh, that are both used to sort of pit the characters against each other and sort of bring bring them closer. Uh, uh, obviously, the easiest one, uh, like I said, is Percy. There is a lot of sort of tension between uh, him and Annabeth of at, at first, uh, and while they're sort of he's sort of vying for her attention against Luke, mm-hmm. um, and then once they get together, they are basically inseparable. Uh, they, they they are conjoined at the hip and will not do anything without each other. Um, and I think later we see. A sort of similar thing going on with Jason. They are kind of antagonistic. They are it's it's jokingly so, but there is a lot of tension there. Uh, and I think, I would say probably after they sort of both get possessed and fight each other, uh, they sort of decide to bond together and are also pretty pretty close knit. Mm-hmm. I would agree, and I think I mean we see that loyalty is literally Percy's downfall when he plummets to Tartarus. Mm-hmm. Um. And I, I like this idea of trust because trust runs a lot of the tension between Percy and Annabeth. Annabeth's trust in Luke is ultimately what causes the tensions between them two in the first series. It's how, even though Luke has done her wrong so many times, she still has this, like, I'm still loyal to him. Not fully, obviously. She doesn't side with him or anything. But there's still that little, like, that small piece that still clings to that loyalty. And I think that's just kind of how loyalty is it's hard Mm -hmm. to it's hard to break loyalty and annabeth is a prime example of it that really doesn't get played up as much in the in the second series there's a lot of inner group loyalty and like you said the loyalty Mm -hmm. between like and the loyalty and trust between percy and jason specifically post tartarus percy and jason after perseus came back from tartarus he leans on jason the same way uh, annabeth does on piper Mm -hmm. They develop a really close, like both people, both of those sets develop really close bonds and like a kind of reliance on each other to stay afloat. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sweet. It's uh, I I like it a lot. I think their relationship is is uh, is very very mm-hmm. nice there. Another another example of like loyalty and building trust um, is Nico, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very slow burn. Um, <laughs> yeah. It goes from him absolutely despising, uh, like, Percy and the rest of the group to uh, slowly coming to terms and realizing that he has a crush on Percy. Uh, and then it only goes from there of, like, that feeling uh, is mixing with, like, how, uh, like, his somewhat distaste for him at the same time and is morphing and sort of alienating him from everybody else and, uh, because he does not want to embrace loyalty like Percy does, uh, sort of in, like, antithesis 
uh, he just pushes everyone away and becomes as much of a loner as possible, literally leaving the Greeks entirely for a short time and hopping over to the Roman. Well, and I think that also says a lot about trust, too, mm-hmm. because it Bianca put trust in the, in the Percy, and that's what got her killed. And Nico put his trust his trust into Percy to save, to keep Bianca alive, and he didn't. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, unlike the other characters we've mentioned, Nico does not care to break a bond. He just he. I think later in the series we kind of we see that he's a little more reluctant to. But especially that the first second book we have Le- uh, we have Nico. He doesn't care. He's just like, all right, I'm out. And I think another, and this one I was just, I thought of it, and another place we see that loyalty and trust kind of develop is Hazel, Frank, and Leo. Mm, That trio that kind of forms out of Leo kind of approaching them because of their loyalty to the Roman ideals Mm -hmm. and them trusting Leo because he has kept them, like he helped them stay alive multiple times. I think, I think I really like that trio and... I, I'm it's not fun. sure. Yeah, was part of that. It's very reminiscent of early, like early first second book. Yeah, Percy, Anna Beth Grover, like the same style of I, like Bond. I think that's very true. Um, it's also to the point where when I saw those three going together, I said, "Yeah, naturally." And I was like, "Wait a minute, hold on, no, those three didn't have a book together. Right. These three were not like bonded." And for some reason, like Piper is not included. Like if if it was like. Piper Franklin, anything like that does not seem like it mixes as well as they do. And right. I think that it was – it is a darn shame that we did not see more of that because it's really only in the last book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all with sort of gloomier uh, Leo. But it's a very good combination mm-hmm. and it shows the strength of – it's not just the original pairs. This group is molding and becoming one of its own. And because of that, having its own distinct sort of groups within itself that are – not just like Percy, Hazel, Frank, and uh, Piper, Leo, Jason. And then like, oh, or are you, and that, and I agree. There were very much like all of these different groups kind of mesh together. And we mm-hmm. see it through, we have the girl, you know, the three girl group that we see in like, I think they have a big, like a big play in like um, when they're in Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. Um, And then you have Jason, Percy, and Frank, or like, um, Jason, Percy, Piper, and uh, Piper, Annabeth, and Jason was a really strong trio. Mm-hmm. And it's just like they kind of just mold. And heck, even Raina, Nico, and Coach Hedge is such a strong trio that comes out of nowhere. It's, it's, and it's so good. They all played off each other so well. And you know what I think it is? Mm-hmm. I think that that trio um, all are like both. I'm trying to think of how to say this. They are they are par- they are parallels to the original trio, mm-hmm. um, not only because it is uh, two demigods and, and a satyr, um, but Grover is all about um, like trying to preserve nature as much as he can, but fighting where he needs to, and it's the exact opposite. Coach Hedge is just like, Hedge. all right, I got my bat, let's go. Mm-hmm. Well, and I agree, and it's and I also think the dynamic works really well because you have comic relief. Um, which all of these groups have one comic relief. Mm-hmm. You have real sad, and then you have confused but willing to help real sad. Yeah. And that I think that archetype of a trio applies to all of the ones we see. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and it flips. It like mm-hmm. it, each character kind of not necessarily in that last trio we mentioned of 
Hedge, uh, Reina, and Nico. But like all of the other trios kind of blend to fit that mm-hmm. mold in like different regards. But yeah, it's. I I think the trios work very well. It mm-hmm. is obvious that he is strongest when he has three uh, characters to sort of play around with. Yeah, and also that's plenty of time to develop narrate like narratives mm-hmm. well. Um, and I guess I think this is a good place. Do we want to go ahead and do characters, or do we want to do rankings? Um. You know what? Let's do characters and then rankings. Okay. So we have three characters that we're going to talk about. And this is like overall like overall across all three series. Or all three. All two series. Both <laughs> the series here. Good grief. Um, which are going to be Percy, Annabeth, and Nico. These three characters, of course, are the only three that we have that kind of go throughout the entirety of the series that have full, fully developed character arcs. Yeah. Um, and I guess we'll go ahead and we'll just start with Percy. Because we see, obviously, we see Percy, like we said earlier, coming into his identity, being aware that he is a strong demigod, but never being, like, oh, I can't say that word on air. Um, mm-hmm. Never being, like... Pompous? Yes, about it. Obviously, <laughs> his his fatal flaw and Annabeth are two different ones. Mm-hmm. So, it like, but even though Percy is admittedly the strongest demigod that we're ever introduced to, he would never say that. Mm. And it... And it just, his entire character throughout the series is very much reliant on that. He is very much if he just wants to make sure his friends make it out alive. He's also very selfless in that sense. Like, he does not care what happens to him as much as he does about everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it is what makes a strong and well-rounded narrator, too. Um, yeah, and I think that something about Percy that I enjoy, other than, like, the quips, is that he is a very relatable character, mm-hmm. not only because he introduces us to the series, uh, not like both as the main narrator and the person being like sort of indoctrinated into this world. Mm-hmm. He is very willing to talk to people and to latch on, uh, and it's it helps because he is our not only our gateway but he is likable. Uh, looking into uh, Harry Potter, a series that we've talked in uh, talked on in the past. Harry is okay. I mean, people people like him. He's he's a lot better on the second read through. But nobody's favorite character is it's Harry. Nobody's favorite character. Uh, and he also, there are times when we go, okay, hold on, you're being very weird right now. Like there is, per, uh, Harry has a personality that is sometimes hard to latch on to. Mm-hmm. In in Percy Jackson, Percy is easy to relate to there are very few times when i go okay percy you shouldn't be acting like that and even when he does the like crazy things that we shouldn't be able to like latch onto, you do mm-hmm. like yet again when he is basically bloodbending the goddess of misery mm-hmm. you're like i understand where he's coming from yeah you have never been in a situation like that however you understand mm-hmm. where percy is coming from and and i think the reason for that is because unlike harry potter or whatnot um percy has a very well-defined sort of like parameters that he falls into like i i feel like there's a formula that if you put him in any situation he would react accordingly mm-hmm. harry although having personality traits kind of j- just kind of fits the mold that is needed at the time he's also a lot more emotional uh and makes a lot of rash decisions that aren't exactly like they don't exactly feel clear to the audience when percy does something we kind of expect it unless it is like a like a twist thing of like, oh, oh, he's jumping into Tartarus. That's still like a. But we then again, that. yeah, I was gonna like say, why did he do that? Like, I don't know anybody who read that scene and was like, that. Why would Percy do that? That's so mm-hmm. weird. Boys, and that's the thing is like, all of his his rash decisions come from his loyalties. Mm-hmm. 
going on the quest and sea of monsters that he was not assigned was only because of his loyalty to Grover. The entirety of Titan's curse is because of his loyalty to Annabeth. Yet again, him literally falling into Tartarus is mm -hmm. his loyalties to Annabeth. And I think that is, yet again, mm -hmm. his character is so centrally driven, but relatable and rounded at the same time. And it's what is important about, honestly, the likability of this entire series, mm -hmm. this entire franchise. There is a term that people use a lot in like D&D &D called uh, EICD, which is an extremely in-character decision. And I think that every decision that Percy <laughs> makes is in uh, EICD. Extremely. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, I'm willing to argue the opposite for Annabeth. Yeah, okay. Almost every time Annabeth makes a decision, even her rash ones, they don't, I don't sometimes they don't fit her character as to what I would think mm -hmm. she would do. But I also think that channels into the rationale. We do see Annabeth evolve as a character, too. We see her go from being kind of, not necessarily a standoffish, like, standalone character. Mm -hmm. But she's very powerful from a very young age, and everybody is scared of her. And But as she grows with Percy, we see, like, as they're both growing up and they're developing their friendship, we see Annabeth kind of become more of a loyalty-driven character. But there are still times that we are reminded that she is not, in fact, a loyalty-driven character. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is that she is – her fatal flaw is hubris. Mm -hmm. She is self-centered, not in the fact that, like, she only cares about herself. She's but not a she, narcissist, but – She believes that she will be able to do – Everything what, best. Yeah, whatever needs to be done, she can do. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons that it, it's harder to see her motives because we are used to seeing a lot of Percy. When we see Annabeth do something, we go, oh, that's not – oh – Okay, like it, it's – there are many things uh, to her that, like, are harder for us to understand because we come from Percy. Mm -hmm. I think it's also – it's hard to write a character that is supposed to be very smart because, um, like, it feels like you want characters to understand what they are thinking. But if she's supposed to be, like, above an average intelligence, it's kind of hard to – like, it's kind of hard to portray that without her being, like, oh, I can do math on the fly if E carry the two. Like, it's stuff like that. It's hard right, to convey. Right, right, right. Um, and then, and we'll go ahead and talk about our last character. And I, I love Nico. His story arc is the most heartbreaking. But we yet again we see him coming into trusting people. Yeah. We talked about that earlier because he is the character we see develop the most when we, not necessarily when we meet him in in um, Titans Curse, but by the end of Titans Curse, he has disassociated from everything and everyone. Mm -hmm. He is like eight years old and ready to be like, all right, I could take on the world on my own. Let's see how this one goes. Is he eight? I, he's young. He's he might be ten. 10. I think he's ten. Um, and I, I think that that's something I like about Nico uh, quite a lot. Um, he has an arc that is extremely easy to follow. Uh, and once again, everything feels natural. Like, Rude's like, uh-oh, he's going to be mad at Percy. But every time we think he's going to do something, it's usually a notch above what is expected. He's like, Oh, he's gonna be mad and upset, but don't worry, he'll talk it through. He's like, no, I'm he mad. I'm going to the ground. I'm going to try to send you to literal hell, <laughs> uh, and then I'm gonna storm off and get lost in a labyrinth forever. Um, the end. And and I, I think that Nico is an interesting character because not only he <sighs> he also trusts so much. Okay, but okay, at the same time, he does not trust people, but we see him put his trust in the wrong people mm -hmm. so many times. He is his dad. Almost the entirety of 
Battle of the Labyrinth. He's putting his trust in these very awful people who just end up screwing him over. King Minus. Yeah. Oh my gosh, he's just out to abuse Nico, and Nico just doesn't perceive it until it's almost too late. He is extremely trusting, but he holds a grudge. So if someone breaks that trust, he is going to abandon that, but that that does not stop him from trusting somebody else, mm -hmm. even if that is a bad choice. Yeah. Um, I also I also think that Nico, and maybe you can you can add on this, uh, but like. I think that Nico's character arc did not feel like it was plotted out from the beginning. I feel like it was sort of book to book mm -hmm. there is, and sometimes like scene to scene, it feels like he's like, oh, this would be nice. And there, there is a nice, there, there is like a nice thing about that where everything feels like a natural choice to go to. Right. But it's just looking back, it is, it is like harder to see the it, line that it is drawing. It's more, it's so almost, jagged. okay. Yeah. I agree. It's almost like, Rick Riordan was using Nico as a plot device, mm -hmm. but without Nico just being a plot device. Like, he's like a plot device, but with, like, spice. Yeah, he's... he's it's like, well-rounded. Like, he isn't just a plot device. He's like, ooh, I need him to be a plot device, but also I'll he, give him an arc. He's Mr. Plot Device. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree, I agree. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, you're right. So I guess we'll go ahead and... This is going to be a little bit of extended content that you will be able to find in a couple of days after this is uploaded. Um... In which we're going to go ahead now and just give our rankings and then we'll give a full like gross explanation and argument um, <laughs> later. Um, so, okay. Do you want to start your ranking or you want me to start? I will start. And we'll preface this by uh, neither these one are of opinions, us. Yes, and we do not know. Yeah. One, these are opinions. Uh, do not get mad at us. Uh, two, uh, we do not know each other's. We have typed this silently <laughs> and we'll be reading it at the first time. Okay, go. Uh, do we want to start from the, the top going down or down to the top? Cause it I feel it like doesn't matter to me. I'm going to start from uh, from the worst to the best. Okay. Uh, number 10, Blood of Olympus. Okay, yeah. I feel like that's, that's reasonable. Mm -hmm. That's reasonable. Number nine, Sea of Monsters. Reasonable. <laughs> number eight, Battle of the Labyrinth. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, now, and here's the thing. As it's as it's going up, it's getting more and more likable. I do not dislike Battle of the Labyrinth. I just think that it is. Not as strong. Mm -hmm. Continue. Uh, Lost Hero. Okay, reasonable. Uh, Sun of Neptune. Lightning Thief. I think those <laughs> okay. I, I think those two are very that's that's very middle of the chart. All right, they, yeah. they are very neutral. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Titan's Curse, mm -hmm. Last Olympian, Mark of Athena, House of Hades. That is completely reasonable. Mm -hmm. I disagree with Son of Neptune. Um because I will go I will go from top to bottom. Mine will okay. be the best to worst. Uh my favorite is Son of Neptune, Titan's Curse, Mark of Athena, Battle of the Labyrinth, House of Hades, Lightning Thief. Last Olympian, Sea of Monsters, Blood of Olympus, Lost Hero. I hate Lost Hero so really? much. Really? I I don't like I don't like Leo. So we'll we'll get into this later. Okay. Yeah, Anyhow, we'll get into this for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so we're gonna go ahead and do our MVP LVP for the entirety of the series. Yeah. So these are also not gonna get super explained because I feel like they're they're a little predictable, but we'll get into that later. Okay. So you want to start with LVP? Yes. Okay. Um. My LVP for the series, I want to go, and this is hard because I've been thinking about this for a long time, and I haven't been able to like <laughs> land on one. Mm -hmm. Um, I am going to put in a strange choice. I'm going to put Zeus. Reasonable and, and really reasonable. Really this, can be a, this can be a blanket sort of Olympus, but like mainly Zeus. 
Zeus is this is this could also be an LVP for like mythology as a whole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's please, fair. Please, please, please don't, please don't do that. Oh dang. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Zeus um is supposed to be like one of the most powerful. He's like the king of the Olympians. Um, he does a like shockingly amount, uh, a shocking amount of nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only is he the one who almost starts a war because he's very upset his lightning bolt is stolen. Uh, by some random kid uh, that he is just like completely he, he almost starts an entire war because he is he is wrong about something and does not want to admit that he is wrong um, not only that but there is like a very strange sense to Zeus about like he has all this power and he is very much no you can't interfere but he's aware that all these other gods are interfering and he's not doing anything. Also, he interferes. Yeah. He also – he he interferes frequently. Right. Uh, but when he does, he's not doing anything useful. And they talk about in the second uh, in the second series that, like, oh, when a god intervenes, it, like, narr- it, like, scratches off some of the choices of the fates. However – It doesn't like, stop him. Yeah. If you're going to do that, then you need to lock down and try to prevent Hera, who is, at this point – not really doing anything against your back, just sort of doing it, and you're not stopping her. He does so little for the series when he has the power to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the same, kind of same vibe, uh, my LVP is going to be Apollo. Mm-hmm. Um, he is very useless in trying to find his sister in the in the third book. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I know it's not necessarily Apollo's fault that Octavian's a POS. <laughs> However, I'm I like we'll see. Zeus does um, put the blame on Apollo for Octavian and his old being and starting the whole civil war between demigods. Um, yeah, that's all I got. That's yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, he, that's not a super hard. I was gonna say Apollo does like hype him up. He's like, "You're gonna be the best ever. Your prophecy is second to none." Also, Apollo gets like got by Gia. Yeah, like not dead, obviously, but like she dupes him, mm-hmm. and he just he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna sit on my island and I'm cry." Fine. And I'm like, you know what? Okay. Yeah. It, it, it's funny because Apollo gets an entire series to mm-hmm. kind of develop his character, and it's nice, but we'll see. Um, we won't see here, but Brett will see as he reads. Um, <laughs> MVPs. Okay. Go for it. Do what you want to do. It's fine. I have one. Are you positive? Yeah. Yeah. You may not. Okay. Just say it with your chest to get over with. Go ahead. All right. Fine. Sorry. <laughs> uh, MVP, Frank. Oh, that's so- yes. Okay. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So I, I knew I wanted to do one of my MVPs from the uh, from the seven. I was thinking about Leo, but Leo just at the end of his arcs kind of leaves a sour taste in my mouth, and I, I do not think it is fair to say he is the MVP of the entire series. Reasonable. Frank is great. Not only is he like a, a big old teddy bear, he's a big old beefy teddy bear who can turn <laughs> into a regular bear. Right, um, right, right. And I I love I love shape shifting powers. I think it's cool. Uh, I love his arc. I. Despite there being some issues, I do like the relationship that builds between uh, Hazel and Frank. I feel like it, it's one of the more natural ones that came from the second series. Um, and I think that there he does a lot to build his character. Mm-hmm. Um, not only just, like, facing his fathers, but, like, there's, like, he gets powers from the war god and also from, like, being a, uh, a legacy. And I think they play very well together and introduces not only that concept... Uh, and that you can possibly get things from being a legacy, but that neither of those things have to define you, and kind of like goes against I like both of those opposing things, and becomes his own person because mm-hmm. of that. And I think it's a very nice. It is good. Plus, I don't know. 
He's I like, like he's the best. I like the audacity of all these other characters having very fun names, and then it's Frank. <laughs> You're like, okay. Yeah, it's like we got Percy. Even we got Hazel's Annabeth, like fun. We got Hazel. Like we got even Leo is fun. Like that's yeah. not a common name. Jason is the the only other thing. Frank and Jason are not protagonist yeah, but Jason, names. Jason is also still, but Jason is mythology. Yeah, it's that's like true. Gotta, but no, it's just Frank. Frank. I love Frank though. Um, okay, I, I've got one MVP. I think. I, I mean, I'm gonna say Percy. He also, I think he gets the token for being the MVP. Obviously, this is his series. Yeah, He's strong. That's fair. Um, I don't think that needs explaining. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna give my personal MVP to Will Sol. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I. He comes in 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 big play in two the in last two books of both series. Mm-hmm. Um, he saves Annabeth. He is asked to lead so young, um, and then we see him in Blood of Olympus, just ready to like make some problems when necessary. He's like, "I just delivered a kid, but like, I guess I'll go mess around with some Romans. We'll see what happens." Mm-hmm. Yeehaw! Um, also, he's from Texas. I think that's fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Um, Another one was going to be Nico. I had, like, three, like, yeah. bouncing around. I was trying to noodle here. I'm going to settle on Will Solis because he's my favorite of, character. So. There's a lot of good characters. But uh, that is all for right now. Yeah. Um, if you're listening to us live on U92, keep doing that. That's great. Uh, you can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you happen to get your podcasting needs. Probably on Monday there will be a special feature uh, so you can hear some more, especially about the series because we have a yeah. lot to talk about and I can't fit it in an hour. <laughs> um, if you are listening to us on one of those podcast podcasting platforms, of course, you can always listen to us on United to the Moose on Friday mornings at 11 a.m. Um, also, you can always just hop over to United to the Moose um, or 91.7 FM if you're here in Morgantown and listen to any sort of great music or us or everything. Might as well just while you're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, plus, if you're listening to us uh, online via Spotify or some, uh, Apple Music, something like that, uh, if, you, if you like the content, give us a review. It really helps us out a lot. Helps us uh, spread the spread the news about our stuff. Yeah. So our next series that we're going to be doing is going to be the Hunger Games trilogy. Uh, I'm so excited. That was my first like my first like fandom as a child. Mm-hmm. It's what got me into reading. Uh, this is also going to be uh, back to Brett has r- uh, read. This. <laughs> yeah. Brett honest. has read this. <laughs> I'll be honest. I did skim Mockingjay so I Reasonable. could go see the movie. Uh, <laughs> however, because of that. I didn't see the second part because I wasn't as interested. So, <laughs> uh, so that's the only one that's going to be a little bit spotty. But other than that, we both have read this before. So this is going to be another sort of jumping back into. The and there's episode. so many themes. I'm there's so excited. There's probably going to be a couple double part episodes going into this. We'll <laughs> see. But either way, uh, stay, stay, stick around. Keep with us. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will catch you next week. Bye. That's toasty. Ah, uh, 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 hooked on a feeling. I don't believe in that. Ow. Did you hurt yourself? No.